Welcome to another episode of Open Door Policy. Each week we sit down with a different guest and share how they are unleashing the gospel in their lives. And today our guest this is... This guest is you! <gasps> no it's one! You. It's just no, it's you. and I talking. No, it's... Well, but oh. I'm going to interview you. Uh, okay, so this week I am the not the host, but the guest. So you are uh, the guest. Hey, all right. So I'm going to just jump roll. into rapid fire questions. Number one, what was your first job? Title. Uh, my first job was a sandwich artist at Subway. Okay. <laughs> what is the most beautiful church you have ever visited? Ooh, my favorite church that I have ever visited is the uh, Chiesa Nuova in Rome. What is the most recent song stuck in your head? You know, I've been on this mandolin orange kick lately, and their good, song, good, good. Um, Old Friends and Companions. Yeah, that's been in my head a lot. In which fictional world would you like to live? Uh, I am not a fictional world kind of person, so I don't have a lot of that. Um, I really like John Steinbeck novels, and some of those can kind of be dark, so I feel weird saying it, but uh, maybe in a John Steinbeck novel. Salinas Valley? Yeah. Children look at, of Eden? Look at okay. you. Look at, look at you, see? Most of Steinbeck's work is set in the Salinas Valley in Central California. His work frequently explores themes of fate and injustice. Hey, what is your favorite breakfast food? Ooh, um, <laughs> I, uh, I really like an omelet. Once in a while, we'll have omelets at the seminary for breakfast, and uh, they're awesome. What location was one of your most powerful encounters with God? The Adoration Chapel at uh, Orchard Lake, uh, St. Mary's uh, in Orchard Lake. Which Bible verse has recently struck you? The beginning, I, I don't know it by heart because I'm Catholic. So uh, Good for you. But uh, <laughs> the beginning of 2 Corinthians where um, St. Paul talks about the encouragement that he received from God and he gives us his encouragement so that we can encourage others. I'm in 2 Corinthians right now too. Good. Okay. Have you ever met anyone famous? Um, I've met a number of famous people. Um, I met this uh, really cool woman uh, named Danielle Center, and oh she gosh. was pretty famous. What about uh, any athletes? <laughs> yeah, I met uh, Wayne Gretzky, which was uh, which was awesome. And um, any musicians? Have I met any musicians who are? I met Matt Maher. I don't know if. Uh, he counts his fame. John Levi. That's what I'm going to say. John Levi. Perfect. Who is your hero? Um, St. Maximilian Colby. Good. What is the favorite book you've ever read? Mm, Plato's Republic. Okay. What <laughs> is your favorite? Oh, you I'm sorry. I'm that. so sorry. <laughs> I'm over here. What is your favorite item of clothing? Ever. I love uh, wearing a cassock as a priest, and so that I would say that's my favorite item. Really? Yeah. Okay, we're going to start right there. We're just going to reverse where this came from. Your favorite <laughs> is cassock? You're like a sports guy. I am, but I'm also a priest. I don't know if you know that. Um, oh, so. <laughs> that's why I call you father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love wearing the cassock. I just love, you know, I, I don't wear it much because it's not kind of the norm now, but... Um, I love, it. you know, when I wear it, I just feel like, 
I don't know, this is weird. I don't want to say extra priesty, but I remember um, this one time in, uh, we were going to the March for Life. I was in seminary. There were like eight of us on the sem- on the uh, subway together in our cassocks going to the vigil mass for the March for Life. And I just remember feeling, I don't know, just like, you know, people were looking at us, but there was a sense of like, I feel like it helps represent God in some way. Um, I'm not very articulate about this, but uh, I, yeah, I really like wearing a cassock. Sure. Clothes make the man. Okay. Sandwich artiste time. What is your favorite sandwich and what is your least favorite sandwich? Uh, are we talking Subway or like in the world, in the whole wide world? Oh, um, yeah. Like, the whole like, world. Oh, hmm. And also you know, Subway. <laughs> I'll stick with Subway. So I worked at okay, Subway okay. all through. I started when I was 15, and then I left to enter the seminary. So I worked there through high school and college. Um, I had some other jobs in between, you know, that I would take some time off for. But, uh, yeah, I was a, a pretty competent sandwich artist by the time I entered seminary, which has served me well as a priest. Today we will make a turkey sandwich. When putting on turkey, make sure that it is at a 45 Yeah, angle. my favorite sandwich uh, there, I would say, um, oh, gosh, I don't know. They had a seafood and crab that I liked that no one else liked. Um, so I'm going to call that my fave. And then Good for you. The one I didn't like was uh, the cold cut trio. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me about this church in Rome and why it's the most beautiful. Because you've been a lot of places. You travel a lot. Can I change my answer? Okay, fine. Thank you. You're so generous, Danielle. I know. Um, I, honestly, my fit. So I, I was rapid firing, so it was in, inarticulate. But favorite church ever was Notre Dame in Paris. And I just remember from the – so it's, you know, caught on fire and it's closed probably, I don't know, for the rest of our lives. Who knows when it will reopen. But both the outside and the inside, I remember just being in awe at the time and effort that went in to create something beautiful and all the details that went into it, the beautiful stained glass, the way the different parts of the church work together, the intricacy of little parts. And it just made me think of, like, the body of Christ, that God puts – a ton of effort into a little part so that the body can flourish. And it works in harmony with other parts. So the stained glass works in harmony with the vaulted arches, which by themselves, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think they have a lot to do with each other, but they come together and they complement each other. And I just think about that as like this great metaphor for the body of Christ that some of us have very different roles, but... um, when God is the architect and we let him design the church and we're obedient to him, um, whatever part we are, whether we're a gargoyle, a stained glass, or a beautiful statue, that uh, we fit together to make the body of Christ beautiful. Last question is, uh, yeah. when did you encounter St. Maximilian Kolbe and what about his life inspires you? So everything about his life inspires me. Good, good, good. Um, I don't remember. He was my confirmation saint. So I encountered him when I was younger. Um, you know, I uh, I grew up 
way back when, Danielle, um, in the 90s. And here's, here's a little thing. I felt a lot of time when I was growing up, our faith was treated, uh, the Catholic faith was kind of like, um, I wasn't always confronted with the beauty, the majesty, and the awesomeness of the faith. And I found reading about the martyrs enlivened my faith and my desire to follow Jesus, even when I was young. Like, so I think about St. Ignatius and his story that you read about him being kind of in a hospital bed and reading the lives of Dominic and Francis and saying, and just kind of his heart being stirred up to do great things for God. I felt that way very much with uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, with St. Isaac Jogues, with these great martyrs. So... Um, you know, middle school, high school, and then as I matured in my faith, I, I began to see that Jesus was really someone worth giving my life for, and that took the shape of priesthood, not martyrdom, at least not yet. Um, so uh, I would say Maximilian's, both his ingenuity, so he was very ingenious in looking for ways to spread the Catholic faith, and then his uh, self-sacrificial nature to give his life. Um, I feel like I've talked about this before, but he gave his life in the deepest, darkest place yeah. you can imagine, and he did it without any thought that anyone would tell his story. I mean, just imagine the powerlessness he had in Auschwitz when he took the place of the condemned man. There was no reason he had to believe that anyone would know about this. And so he didn't do it for fame or for worldly glory. He did it out of obedience to what it meant to say yes to Jesus his whole life long. So. I guess that being a light in the darkness, even when it doesn't look like anyone else will see it, um, that's part of his story that inspires me. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut out and then I cut back in. And so I like I just heard you, you say the hear. last word. And I'm like, I'm, I know. Hey, yo, Father Steve. Hey, yo, Danielle Center. Hey, um, talk to me a little bit about your experience as a priest in quarantine and what God's been doing in your life. Yeah, I think this is good. You know, we get to hear how God's working with lots of other people. And so I'm happy to just kind of share a little bit of my own faith. And we'll get a chance to do this with you sometime soon, Danielle, too. Yeah. Um, maybe even here. Uh, but Only time will own... tell. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You know, these these days of quarantine that we've been living through since, like, mid-March have just been, like, I don't know. For, for me, I am so much better when I have a routine, when I, like, have my life structured out, right? I think about, like, they talk about people who are, like, hey, he needed to go to the military because he needs that routine in his life or he needed that. Like, I think that's me, right? When I don't have routine— like my life can just get out of whack and I'm not praying yeah. as much as I should. I'm not ordered in like like reading like I should, being disciplined in my work. So I would say the quarantine for me was a real opportunity to see my own weakness and then to bring that to the Lord, which I hate doing, right? I love telling <laughs> the Lord how great I am <laughs> mm -hmm. and like showing off my little projects mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that I do. But it's been this chance to be like, you know, Jesus, I thought I had all these parts of my life that were, were kind of in order and I was doing well. And the quarantine for me was just a time to say, 
like, man, if I am not constantly seeking the Lord and, and really asking for his guidance, it's so easy for me to to get off track. And so one of those ways was just in my daily prayer. I found um, with uh, kind of working from home, not having that same. So I live here at the seminary, which is a great setup because there's, a, you know, three chapels here and right. like ample opportunity. Um, I'm just going to say prayer. must be nice because it <laughs> yeah. that needs to be inserted right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I really found, you know, the first few weeks of, of uh, the quarantine, like I got in this work mode where, you know, there wasn't the normal break of going to work and then coming home yeah. and like, okay, I'm, I'm in this different zone. And I'd find it's like 10 o'clock at night. I haven't prayed my holy hour yet. I'm falling asleep praying. I'm making all these excuses not to kind of give the Lord, not just the time of the day, but really my good time to give him the prominent time, the time where like, like, um, before I make important decisions, I want to invite yeah. him into that. And so um, the quarantine for me has just spiritually been this kind of uh, reset button's a little dramatic and it kind of overstates how well I've done with it. But this this realization that, you know, even as someone who's been a priest nine years and, you know, been tried to be faithful to the Lord my whole life, how easy it is for me to fall away from that and how much I need to, like, uh, acknowledge my complete dependency on God day by day and um, and just and just realize that, like, I am not a joyful person when I'm not, like, living out of that well. When I'm living out of my own resources, I find, like, I'm snapping at people more or I'm just kind of more... I got a quicker trigger either to write something snarky or say something snarky and um, that that God really wants me, not just as a priest, but like certainly uh, especially as a priest, but as his disciple, he wants me to be living out of that relationship with him. And that's been a huge awakening and just kind of like realization of my need to do that more and more throughout these, these weeks of quarantine. I think that it's, also like worthwhile to extend some grace to yourself as well right like your your entire like routine was completely shaken so of course like of course none of us know how to do it well at first is, is this your first quarantine this your is this this has been yeah we shall see but um yeah this was this was the first one I experienced so my and my experience was I mean like 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 we just mentioned I mean I don't have a chapel at my house so yeah. um even though so it's like even the way that I prayed had to shift I mean like frankly I usually go to mass and adoration and and so um that wasn't there it's not it, like mass is slowly opening up again. Um, but I would say also like, I'm going to extend you some grace because it is new and you're doing your best. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't want to sound like either a pity party or as like how awful it was. It, it was just this kind of like, it was a realization to me of how, um, how easy, you know, it is for other things to creep into the center of my right. life instead of Jesus. And even things that are good, because there was a ton of stuff we had to do um, for the church, for the work I do in uh, 
you know, in the Archdiocese of Detroit um, that was really important stuff. Uh, so it's not like it was, um, you know, uh, Netflix-a-thons uh, all the time, <laughs> although there might have been one or two of those. Uh, but <laughs> But it was really just like, Man, how intentional I have to be in my spiritual life, and uh, that was that was a realization. That was a wake up call. That like I really, and I think it's with any relationship, right? Like whether it's a good friend or or family. Like if we stop calling, it's just so easy for that to build up, and it's just not going to happen on its own. And and living an intentional life takes effort it takes commitment it takes yeah. discipline and it takes humility to say okay like okay i've gotten off track a little bit i need to backtrack and and shift my priorities um for me one of the humility places where it takes humility is being able to say no to work because i'm a mm. dude so i get my identity and my value through through the I work that i do right? gendered thing i think that's just a human thing <laughs> well I, I think with a lot of guys uh we get our identity through uh, how much work we can do. And so to be able to say no to that because the relationship with the Lord is more important. Um, so that's been uh, that's been kind of a, uh, what's the term? There's this great term, um, not a harsh grace, but a, a severe a severe mercy <laughs> of the Lord. Um, and then to kind you of, also... Kind of show, me, show me that in my life. Yeah. And then you also said that um, that verse from the beginning of... Second Corinthians talking about encouragement that's been on your heart is that tied into all of this as well I think so I, I think you know part of that is I find it in my preaching especially that if I'm when I um, am not committed to prayer like I need to be I find mm. I find it come out in my preaching that it's more about me and less about the Lord and so mm. I, I do think there's this way that a priest is meant to be um, a vehicle for the Lord to speak his word. And if I'm not listening to him or hearing his word, then it just becomes my word. And, and that's not, uh, that's not life giving. And so, um, I, I do think that phrase, that passage from second Corinthians is, you know, um, to receive the encouragement from the Lord and then to share that with others. And how has God been encouraging you? And an aside on that, I, I yeah. heard once that, um, and maybe I said this on the podcast before, is that encouragement, like the, the root of it means to pour co- courage into someone and discouragement mm. is, is to take courage from someone. So what has been encouraging you lately? What has been giving you courage? Yeah, I think talking to more and more people and, and realizing how difficult it's been for them. Uh, mm. That we're kind of all in this together, and uh, that Jesus wants you know me to be that instrument for Him. So, just kind of hearing how other people have either um, received blessings through this or received lots of challenges through this, and to see like this is a an experience that everyone in our country is kind of going through together. You know, I have right. certain family members who work in healthcare, and to see a pandemic through their eyes is very sobering. Um, I know other people who've lost their job because of this, you know, um, certainly know that there are people whose living situations are not great. And so to be stuck at home um, 
in kind of a quarantine, the challenge that presents. So uh, I guess just knowing that, you know, each of us has a cross to carry during this time and that um, I don't know what most other people are carrying uh, in their cross. And so uh, that, that God is uh, wants to use me to be his instrument of uh, his instrument of peace and his instrument of joy. Uh, that's been encouraging to me. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Father yeah. Steve. Okay, Father Steve Polis. Um, yeah. You, hey, that's you. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a series of announcements, right? People might have heard this uh, in their parish news. They might have heard it online. But the Archdiocese is going to be um, working towards something called Families of Parishes. Can you talk a little bit about that situation? And then we'll just go from there. So, like, general yeah. overview, go. Yeah, that, I can talk a little bit about it. I probably am not super qualified to talk a ton about it. But, happy, you know, it, it, it's a huge thing happening in our Archdiocese, you know. Uh, right now, we have 218 parishes, um, and it's incredible. I, I, I So just a little diversion here, you know, being the archbishop secretary for four years, um, I loved going to a different parish because he would go to parishes for 50th anniversaries or confirmations or to install a pastor uh, or to dedicate a church and to get to see all the different parishes. So I didn't go to all of them, but... I don't know. I've probably been to 150 of the 218 in the archdiocese, which is awesome because there's a lot in the yeah. city. Yeah. And then there's some in the a ton in the Burbs, a ton in the um, Monroe, St. Clair, Lapeer County, kind of the, uh, the rural area. Um, but demographically, it's very clear that the number of priests we have is is going down, right? I mean, you can look around and see a lot of our pastors are re approaching retirement age or and a number of them are serving past retirement age. And so this is an approach of how our parishes can work together to share some of the administrative burden we know is is not going to go down, but the number of people to, to carry that burden, uh, the number of pastors, uh, is is going to go down. So families of parishes is a concept to say, how can we think about parishes working together administratively and then also in kind of a, a mission way so that we are uh, ready to proclaim Jesus Christ to Southeast Michigan as the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't just become kind of fixated or paralyzed by the administrative work of 218 buildings and more than that sites, you know, kind of managing all of that. And does that make sense? Yeah. My question for you next is what kind of like, how has this been received? Like, and just be honest, right? What are the rumblings? Where are people concerned? Where are people excited? Sure. That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think because it's so new, um, both in newly announced, but also like some places right. around the country have done this, but a, a lot 
The concept we're talking about is a little different than what most places have done. Um, because we're really trying to live out of the graces of Synod 16, which calls us to be this missionary diocese, and it calls us f to have this renewal of structures, and, and that's where this is coming out of, that, um, that foundational conviction of Unleash the Gospel. Um, there's a lot of questions that we just can't answer right now, like, well, what, is it, what does this exactly mean? What does it right. mean for certain staff positions? What does it mean for the mass schedule at my parish? Right. right? So I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now, which is not surprising. Um, there's a lot of questions. That, you know, a lot of priests have questions like, what will what will this mean for my priesthood in ten years? Will I be a pastor of one parish? Will I be like an associate of this family of parishes? Um, and a lot of that's up in the air. Uh, and then there's people who, you know, who have been hurt over, uh, and the Senate acknowledged this too, over the past decades of, of the mergers and closures that have had to happen. There are people who feel like this is just um, kind of a, uh, you know, a sleight of hand to say we're closing and merging parishes. So I think there are people who are, um, who are hurt by it and who are kind of living out of that hurt. And then there are other people who are asking like genuine questions to understand it more um, and to try to get a better sense of what it means. So there's lots of questions right now. Yeah. As a priest on the younger end of things. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like I, my perspective as a lay person, right. And a, a millennial young person, right. So kind of in like a young middle age, is I someone can who's look, worked in the church and kind of right. gets like church life, right? Right. I can, I mean, like, I think it's important. I'm an optimist, but I think that like realism is also important, right? So it's yeah. okay to look at trends and say, this is where things look to be going. How do we prepare for trends? Like, how do we prepare for the future now, right? Instead of being just like pulled around by it when it comes. And for like, us looking, let's say, let's say 20 years into the future, right? The reality is a lot of our, our, our parish communities and the tithe base and the volunteer base is, um, let's say baby boomers, right? So when there are fewer, it's going to look different in the parish. What, for you as a younger priest, right? You, you're looking at this future as well as I am. How, what are you thinking about for how we can support our priest population, right? Is that a part of this discussion? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know if I have a lot of great thoughts on that, how people sure. can support their priests. I think, you know, just like all relationships, it, it, it's a balance of, you know, tough love and support. Um, and, and I know oftentimes... Um, People, so there's a podcast I listened to. That someone turned me on to called Radical Candor. Have you heard of this? Tell Danielle? me everything. I have not. So it's this place of love in between. I forget the other two, but one's like just being a jerk, and the other one is like total indifference, like just hmm. kind of a, a sycophant or someone who says yes to everything you do. Mm -hmm. So radical candor is this concept of. Um, being uh, completely candid with the person, sharing honestly, you know, um, feedback about how they're doing, but doing it from a place of love, which is super hard because oftentimes 
you know, just as a priest, uh, you know, sometimes you hear, and I was talking about this a little bit earlier, you'll hear either, you know, people who just say yes to everything you do and like, oh, poor right. father, you're working so hard, poor, you know, uh, poor priest, like just kind of like want to help in any way. And, and, and that's, you know, th- there's a place for that. Comes from a well-meaning place. Yeah, exactly. That, right. Better said than I did. And then there's the other side, which is just like, well, so he just needs to hear the truth, and I'm just going to be a total, total jerk. This church kinda... <laughs> wasn't the way it was when I was a kid. Yeah. I'm never coming back here again until you blah, blah, blah. I'm never given another dime or, or you're ruining it, right. you know. Um, so I think like all of us, this, this kind of way we love each other as a church needs to come out of this place of radical candor, which takes investment that I'm really invested in the good we're trying to seek here, and I'm invested in the good of the other person. Um, so uh, how can people support their priests? I would say with radical candor, with sharing all their concerns and all their hopes, but doing it from a place of love and not just kind of lashing out and not just kind of um, being a doormat. So, uh, I heard yeah. a saying one time, and it was like, Golly, I'm going to slaughter this. So my apologies to the listener who told me this. But it was like, if you if you never want to hear the truth again, become a bishop. Kind of like, so it's kind of the opposite <laughs> of what you're talking about, right? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the truth. Was in, that a bishop who told situation. you that? <laughs> no, but um, I think that that's the side that, like, you know, if a virtue ex- exists between, like, two to yeah. uh to vices the mean than between that. two extremes yeah. yeah then what you're talking about is like oh yeah whatever you say but that's that's a tricky place to be too so yeah that's that's something to pray about um in yeah, your I mean, life go ahead no danielle tell me some of your thoughts about families of parishes or going forward or what the church needs in you know kind of just just demographically saying we're going to have 70 fewer priests or, or right. something like that hey, in right. the next 10 years, right? We can't just ignore that. Yeah, I I uh I'm I'm going to be frank. I I'm hopeful about things, right? I think that it's better to face the music now and dance mm. now. Um the one thing that's really beautiful about our faith is that it's ours, but we're also a part of a long line. And so this faith is the faith of, you know, like my nieces and nephews and their grandchildren and their grandchildren, like we're just a part of this, right? And so I think about like, what do I want their church to look like? And I want it, I want it to be strong and I want it to be something that is, is good, right? I want it to be something that doesn't suck them dry. I want it to be something that gives them life. And the same for me. And I think about I think about you guys, like you priests. I think that um, the expectation that you, like, frankly, you can maintain the the way that we've done faith in the past. It's that's unrealistic. So I'm hopeful that this is a thing that is healthy, even though I know that pruning is really hard. Like it's hard in my spiritual life, right? Like I I don't. I don't like saying no to things. I don't like saying no to people. So I'm not good at it, but I know that it is a good practice. So in that sense, I, I'm praying for the church and I want it to, I want good things for it, you know, just like you do. I'm fighting for this church. (laughs) 
you know, one thing I've been thinking of in my own prayer is how, as we as we've been in this kind of slow return to mass, and we're telling people, especially in high risk categories, to wait um, to come back. I was thinking this might be the chance for people who have been chomping at the bit to do something in their church. Like this may be the, I don't know the the crucible to say we need to rely or we need to lift up or find a generation of people who are not just attendants, people who attend Mass, but who are really invested in giving of themselves um, and, and calling them to leadership and inviting them to leadership in this moment. Like this may be one of the silver linings of the coronavirus is the way it could um, – kind of be the the crisis that allows a you know a younger generation to say okay our church needs us now or this is a chance where I can step up where maybe people we relied on in the past it's not prudent for them to um, to be in these active leadership positions right now does that make sense yeah yeah I also um, I was I was at a, I was at a bonfire socially distanced from a few of of your peers and um, we were just talking about how the <laughs> one of them was saying the quarantine like advanced the technology of his parish by decades virtually overnight, right? Because suddenly they needed the ability to have a stronger online presence. Their website was redone. They they were live streaming things, right? So, um, which I think is a good thing, right? So I think there's also that. Uh, sometimes, sometimes like technology, like sometimes like advancements move slow and sometimes it's like whoop, a jump. So, um, <laughs> I, I, th I think it'll can, be interesting. Can you do that sound again? I, sound literally, again? <laughs> as soon as I said that noise, I was like, I hope our producer puts in a better noise. <laughs> anyway, so Ron, uh, Ron can work miracles, Danielle. With, with my noises. Good. <laughs> yeah. With everything um, here. Yeah. With everything. So. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you guys liked it. Uh, so anyway, I was just saying, um, I am interested in seeing like, what does this mean for for how we do church from now on? And that's another thing is like, maybe call me crazy, but I'm I'm like, let's dream bigger. Our, our friend, Father Athanasius, he has a saying that I really love, and it's dreams are free. And so if we're right, we've done church in a certain way for a while, which is really good and beautiful, but we're, we don't live in, frankly, we don't live in a Christian nation anymore, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a post-Christian nation. So um, that's not something to be afraid of. That's just something to be aware of, something to respond to. So like, I hope that we can be bolder beyond like, okay, let's say this amount of buildings needs to look like this amount of buildings. Right. And instead we can be like, right. what would radical evangelization look like in 20 years? You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense because I think, you know, uh, you're talking about institutions and structures, which um, in some ways can be a distraction from the mission. Right. Sure. If we are so hell bent on making sure a building, we never lose a building. How much of that time and energy are we not putting into um, reaching the people in our communities, in our 
parish boundaries who who really need to hear the gospel, but you know, um, we're, we're more concerned with uh, structures than we are with people. And I think that that's one of the things that the Synod called out and calls us to, but you know, we can talk about how good that is or how how right that is in the macro picture. But yeah. when it comes to my church or when it comes to me changing, then that's when kind of we, we see the value or the the real kind of metal of the Holy Spirit taking shape to say, okay, I'm willing to change, not just say things need to change. You know, it's really interesting just personally too. Um you, you know, and I think the listeners know that I, I worked at a church or in ministry for some capacity for the past decade, right? And now I, mm-hmm. I'm i kind of on like what I would consider a sabbatical of sorts. But we had an earlier guest this season, Father Mario, talk about um, like all the keys that he had to a church. And for a long time, right, I've had all the keys to a church. And in this like chapter of my life, I don't have all the keys to a church. And it's been really interesting how I have to adapt my life and ministry to not having the keys to a church. Like it was the easiest fallback of all time. Cause I would just be like, oh, you know, I wanna, I wanna host this speaker. And so here's the key to the gym. This is where we'll do it, which is good. It's a good thing, right? But now that I don't have access to that anymore, it's interesting to see how creativity functions within new parameters, right? Be- because I'm like, well, I mean, like right now we're just like easing out of quarantine. But I was talking to a friend today and we're like, what can we do? And we're like, we can still meet outside on picnic blankets. Each of them are six feet apart. We could still do this. We could still do that. So it's interesting how parameters do fuel creativity. And that's that's something else that I'm curious to see as well. Well, I mean, you see this here now. And I think about so many priests, you know, you mentioned about moving online so many priests and others that I've talked to who have said, you know, the people watching our live stream masses or the people that we're reaching out to and inviting to, you know, to see what we're doing in our church, whether it's worship, study, or Christian service, we're forced into, out of our buildings, into online communities. And those by nature, other people are going to be able to see. And the way they've been able to reach people um, is something that we just wouldn't have done unless we had to do it. And so, right. you know, th- this is how, not that God causes crises, of course, right? But God allows these things to happen and we can say, okay, where is God in all of this? Usually it's only in hindsight that we look back and say, okay, well, this is the good that came out of it. And it's right. hard for me to see that in the moment, but in in the rear view mirror, I can see cl- more clearly what was going on there in a spiritual realm that turned out to be a blessing. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, my friend, Father Ryan, and one thing that he said to me before is like, do you believe that God can take something bad and make something good or not? And when he phrased it like that, it was kind of like, actually, that is the like tenant of our faith, right? That, that God can take something bad, right? Like the fall, like the crucifixion, like all of these things and make something good. So, um, yeah, I, I I choose to live in hope. And then also, uh, my pastor is Monsignor Dan Trapp, and he made the announcement, and he's, like, so chill and cool. And he was like, he's like, we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do the right thing. And I was like, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Hey, 
As hey. we close, do you what, have any what, words? What do we do for... as we close? When we close, okay. When we close, usually the guest, like you, for instance, maybe has like a word, a prayer, a phrase for the listeners. Is there anything that you would really like to leave them with tonight, Father? Yeah. So you know, we're talking in the midst of like it almost feels like um you know end times cataclysmic stuff going on with uh, right we talked about george floyd and all the all the just tragedy around uh the ending of his life the injustice of that the hurt that people are speaking out of and then how some of that or some people have um kind of reacted in violent ways, whether that's opportunistic or whether that's out of a place of hurt. Um, obviously, the pandemic, we have murder hornets on their way. Right. <laughs> it, this is like, you know, kind of end times stuff. Um, so mm -hmm. I guess in the midst of all of that, I would say, you know, we have to be men and women of action who, who don't just kind of hide away. We have to be willing to step out and make mistakes and and be men and women who who engage in all of these things. But that's only going to come from men and women who are on their knees before the Lord in prayer. So I would say we have to be um, in action, but in order to do that well, we have to be begging the Holy Spirit to show us the way forward. So pray and then step out in action. That's what I would say. I really appreciate Father Steve Pullis, my guest tonight on Open Door Policy. Thanks, Danielle, for being an awesome interviewer and keep listening to ODP. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. We just give you stuff to work with, Ron. I know, I know, and I love every second of it, <laughs> except when I don't. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. I really appreciate Father Steve Polis, my guest tonight on Open Door Policy. Thanks, Danielle, for being an awesome interviewer and keep listening to ODP. Is that what hey. you wanted? Sure. Okay, we'll it, give you, let's give him two more to work with. Two more, two more. <laughs> okay, are you counting me in or I just go? Okay. Well, folks, that was my friend, Father Steve Pullis. Thanks, Danielle, for an awesome interview. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got something to work with there. <laughs> okay, ready? That was go. me being nuts, so. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody's favorite ginger pirate, Father Steve Pullis. Thanks, Danielle, for an awesome interview, and thanks, everyone, for listening to ODP. Wow, you really went off the wall. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so do really I. Nice too. So yeah. do I. I would advocate for more of it. Um, a, it's a lot simpler than trying to hunt down guests, and B, Danielle and I can usually fill up plenty of time. So it's true. All right, my friends. Yeah, so let's plan on let's plan on doing another one of these uh, other way with uh, Danielle as the interviewee. Um, I don't know at some point later this summer. Cool. Perfect. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Guys, have a great one. Ciao.